Hey, what's up? This is Raj. Welcome to the Raj Katech Show, number one podcast in Dubai. And in this episode, we're talking sports. Now, before your head explodes, it's not because I know anything about sports, but my two guests certainly do. Steph and Walt, co-founders of Crossover Collective. They are content specialists that make content about sports, but they also fuse it with college sports, hip-hop, and so many other aspects of lifestyle. They're two incredibly bright guys. Me and Steph go back over 15 years. You'll hear that story about how I got my bag searched in New York in an airport and how we met through that experience. And in addition to that, you'll also find out how they established their agency just at the beginning of COVID and how that made an impact on them and what the demand was in and around content trends. So it's not too, too deep on sports. If you're not into it the way I'm not into it, you will learn a lot because I have some very simple questions along with my co-host on this episode, Vic. Enjoy. Okay, so welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, thank you. It'd be amazing <laughs> to, be to start, I think, from what it is that you guys do, and then we'll get into a little bit of backstory how we know each other, Steph, for quite for some sure. time. So yeah, tell us a little bit about OVR. Yeah, so OVR stands for Outside Visual Representation. Uh, full, this is like our Nike swoosh, so to speak. So Crossover is the full name, Crossover Collective. Uh, so it stands for Crossing Outside Visual Representation. So what wound up happening was Walt and I connected actually on LinkedIn and uh, wound up speaking about content. And at the time I was at an agency called Kashmir uh, overseeing the BMW Multicultural and uh, National Diversity Account. Uh, so he was at another group called Shadow League and they told stories from a culture narrative. Uh, and he happened to reach out on LinkedIn, which I never read my LinkedIn messages. I <laughs> mm. uh, just happened to be reading them because I, it's two days after my birthday, so I kept getting all these alerts from LinkedIn mm. and he was in the mixture of that. Uh, so then he was I slid into the DM. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yo, got it. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but yeah, not nah, like we wound up chatting about like the content, took a call from, I think like a week or two later, because um, I was doing some traveling mm. and uh, just liked what they were talking about and was trying to work it into the mix. But unfortunately, it didn't work in the brand strategy, but fortunately, it worked out for us. You know, uh, he wound up, it was April. So this is April, we, we chatted. Yeah. In June, we met in person. He decided to leave his company. His wife took a new position in, uh, in L.A. And uh, so then we met in person and just hit it off, you know, was ordered the same drinks, didn't even know it. Mm. <laughs> uh, but then just had, like, really cool conversation and would go up to uh, Runyon Canyon, if you're familiar with L.A. It's mm. big hiking trail, um, but we'd go up there in the mornings just trying to stay fit and then just have cool conversations about life and, and work. And uh, he was recently, you know, newly married, wife and baby on the way, and we were just trying to figure some things out. <laughs> but uh, word, you go into it. <laughs> congratulations! You guys of... just hit two years, right? Yeah, yeah. So just, two uh, years, and you're yeah. you're probably six months into that two-year journey, and along comes COVID. So, like, what? How did you how did you pivot, and what what kind of problems do you solve today in 2021, heading into 2022? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question, and I, I was even kind of back up a little bit before because we both pivoted um, even prior to COVID, right? Um, so I, I uh, played football um, in, in the States in college and then began working in sports administration. So uh, on, the, on the college side, the NCAA. Um, what sports administration? Yeah, sports administration. So, so basically, uh, the NCAA is the National Collegiate Athletic Association. Mm -hmm. So when you all see like the Final Fours with the, the Dukes and the different you know, basketball teams, um, that's kind of like the governing body of college athletics. Mm -hmm. So after I finished playing, I was fortunate enough to uh, receive an internship to work at the national headquarters in Indianapolis. So that's where I really got my, my start into, into the business. Um, and then from there, uh, moved down to like Dallas, Texas, uh, worked for a couple athletic conferences, uh, overseeing some of the, uh, the soccer championships and, and football and basketball. Um, they worked for the Oakland Raiders as well. Um, so now Las Vegas Raiders, uh, they made a move. So, so I had a, a big kind of a sports background, um, then worked on the university side at the University of California, Berkeley, um, and also Columbia University uh, doing fundraising. So raising money for uh, scholarships, uh, endowments, and different programs. But the one kind of a thread through all the jobs and positions was the, the, the narratives and the storylines. Um, and I also had a, a, a love for, for content and production. And so literally, uh, I'm at Columbia University and we're doing a, uh, a campaign for uh, raising money for the mental health um, kind of institute they're building out. We brought in a producer to kind of you know, create the storylines and everything. Uh, but I was coming up with all the, all, all the storylines and, and really working with all the student athletes to the point where I was like, man, I turned to him and was like, man, is this what producing is? And he was like, yeah, man, you're, you're, you're a hell of a producer. And like the light bulb went off, I'm like, oh, got it. I really enjoy this. 
And so that's when I made a pivot. Uh, Steph mentioned I worked at this company called The Shadow League. They're based in New York. And the gentleman that was overseeing or created the company, uh, he had you know, created Vibe Magazine back in the day um, and also was one of the lead executives uh, for the 30 for 30 at ESPN. Um, so I had a chance to like learn What's under- What's 30 for 30? Uh, 30 for 30. So 30 for 30 is a uh, documentary series that ESPN has. So they tell a lot of the, the sports and kind of cultural stories uh, around the games. Um, so they have a full kind of kind of um, uh, series around those. So uh, the gentleman uh, was one of the first leading executives to kind of start that uh, aspect. Because a lot of times people know, you know, support ESPN for more of the on the field and, and uh, kind of recaps. But they also stepped out to, you know, kind of create some other narratives and stories. So so during that time period, uh, literally jumped in, started working with him, working with a lot of producers and editors. Um, and yeah, so I reached out to Steph while I was there. Uh, we were doing a, a series on uh, some of the uh, 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 athletic directors who oversee uh, the sport programs, a lot of the univer American universities. And, and during that time, we were looking for some, some partners and Steph was uh, working at an agency called Cashmere um, and overseeing the, the national BMW account. So I literally was going through LinkedIn, like trying to find some good contacts. Uh, reached out to him, and you know, sometimes on LinkedIn, it's a crapshoot, right? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, he, he responded, and we wound up connecting in LA, and that's kind of how we both kind of pivoted um, to the point where uh, we connected, and uh, we had a couple projects uh, around around the Drew League. Uh, mm. Steph uh, had connected connected with them, and uh, was going out of town for a big, uh, uh, was it the golf tournament? Yeah, BMW Championship. BMW so. Championship. Mm. Tiger Woods, Ta yeah. Tiger Woods kind of took. Tiger Woods, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah. So he had to go out of town, and uh, we had literally just met you know, a few months ago, but he was like, hey, Walt, do you wanna just kinda come in and, and, and take my place? I was like, cool, let's do it. And so literally, he had a chance to kinda fill in. We worked together, kinda pulling things together, and uh, the client was so happy with, with the work. Um, literally, about, about what, two weeks later, we did a, a recap with them. And like, yeah, yeah, we wanna bring you guys on to you know, oversee our, our brand you know, marketing um, you know, from that perspective. So it was like, wow. Um, and literally had moved from New York back to LA, no job, um, you know, full-time job in place, uh, baby on the way. Yeah, it was a lot going on. Can I ask you a question? Well, I picked up on something that you said. You said ESPN was known for like showing on the field sports mm -hmm. and then they transitioned to storytelling and kind of like medium or long form content, mm -hmm. right? Documentaries yeah. behind the scenes. We were talking the other day about my boxer friend and you said that they do like these things prior to the boxing match. Right. Did that happen, was that on the same timeline that when MTV evolved from doing music videos to doing reality TV to doing stories and documentaries? Because it seems to me like sports and music had a similar fracture where yeah. MTV used to be music and ESPN used to be sports and now MTV became everything but music <laughs> and ESPN is now, like, is there, are there any parallels there? Because I don't watch any sports programming. You, you know, I, I think there's some parallels there, but I, I, what, what I really think is that in sports, a lot of times mm -hmm. you, you have no idea who, who the players really are mm -hmm. in terms of being able to really humanize them, right? And so I think you, you see the stats, you see the scoreboards, you, you hear when people, athletes get in trouble, mm -hmm. um, but you don't know kind of the, the stories behind it. Also, there's a lot of, you know, uh, historic teams that have accomplished a lot, a lot of individual performances, team performances, whatever it may be, but there's always the storylines behind it. And so I think... Uh, ESPN got to the point where like, look, you know, we have access to, you know, all of these great athletes and all these great stories. Let's figure out a way that we can, um, you know, tap into another audience um, and, and kind of, you know, again, show mm -hmm. the behind the scenes behind that. So I think it was, it was a really smart move for them because at the end of the day, you can only watch so many highlights mm -hmm. and, and so many scores. Right. Um, but I think the, the, the beauty of sports is like being attached to the, 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 the stories and, and the players and, and kind of some of the, uh, magnificent kind of feats that mm -hmm. they, you know, come up with. Yeah, it's all right. It's coming, yeah. yeah. Sure. yeah. We're well, about to have some wonderful coffee, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking. Just kind of Please. jumping back into that with the question you had mentioned about, like, the music mm -hmm. and the sports thing. I think it's – there's some similarity, but I think the reason why MTV shifted and started showing content was because there was – remember, there was a writer's strike in oh. Hollywood. So that's yeah. why reality TV came about, because there was a writer's strike in Hollywood. With sports – I think their pivot to content was more so because of what they've been seeing with endorsement deals. Mm. And, and you know what I mean? Like, cause that was more of a branding situation. So it was the ability to make money because how can you make money and sell a person if you don't know a person, right? So what you're doing is you're almost like pre-cooking that person. It's, yeah. ah, that's genius. Because what happens is, is like, you know, 
like when you're on television, you're, you're making your money off of advertisement and revenue, you know, like around the commercials and all the other things. So how do you get that if there's no other additional content? You know, there's only so many live sports. You know, if you have, you know, yeah. I think, you know, basketball went on a strike. Sure. You know, so it's like, all right, well, if you have yeah. no basketball, what do you do if there's no basketball? You can't show any games. Yeah. So it's more yeah. reasons like to know, like, and trust the athlete. Because well, prior to yeah. that, they'd get endorsement deals based on their points or their performance on the field, whereas now it could be for their personality or so, their so, values mm -hmm. or other things they believe in. So I think, I think it's twofold, right? I, yeah. I think, so yes, you, you, the, the individual athlete being able to kind of monetize the endorsements, mm -hmm. but also just from a, from a TV standpoint, network standpoint, mm -hmm. there was a huge explosion in terms of there, now we have more TV windows yeah. and slots to fill. Um, and again, there's only you know, limited calendar seasons when it, when it comes to uh, the sports seasons. And so they're like, okay, how do we get more content and we can fill that with advertising windows to build it out? So I think that, yeah. that's where you started to see a shift of, okay, it's, it's cool to have these games, but we also have to have, have more to bring yeah, people yeah. in. Do you, think, do you think if there wasn't those strikes, it still would have happened? Yeah, yeah because you had, remember, like, you had satellite TV at that sure. point and internet. So the more, mm -hmm. like you said, the, the more outlets you have, the more content that's needed. And you didn't, yeah. have, you didn't have the internet at that point. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, well, you, you just had, had to fill it. You just had yeah. to fill it. Yeah. And it's just like, if we're going to have all this access and these, you know, these platforms, how do we monetize it? And when you're looking at the sports star, you're looking at the personality, brands tie into the personality, the people tie into the personality, and that's where exactly. the commercials come in. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Mm, nice. So how are you guys finding Dubai? Man. We've got to, we've got a couple of extremes. We've got Steph, who's part of the furniture, and Walt, who's <laughs> first <laughs> Walt's, Walt's first time. So let's start with Walt, because that's going to be more interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then and then we'll go to you, Steph. But yeah, Steph. So I mean, sorry, forgive me, Walt. It's been uh, two days, three days here. Uh, about three days. Three thoughts, days initial thoughts. Oh, I I, I love it, man. It, it's a uh, it's a blend and, and mix of you know uh, different cultures. Um, I, I feel like also. You know, one of the things I love as I'm driving around the city is just knowing that over the last 10 years, this place has really fully developed. Um, looking outside the window right now, there's another building, you know, being built. Mm -hmm. And I think as a, as a, you know, creative and also as a person that's always thinking about like, okay, you know, what's next? What mm -hmm. can we do? It's an uh, inspiring city um, because you look up, literally, you see the birds and you're like, wait a minute, someone, that started in someone's mind. Mm. Just like, okay, this is going to be the tallest building, right? And, and they literally put the things in place to make it happen. So like, I see the parallel of like, what we're, what we're doing from a content standpoint, just as a, as a person, as a man, of like, okay, like there's nothing that can, just, like literally, if we put our, our mind to something and we have the right team in place and, and approach things the right way, there's nothing that we can't do. So I think that's kind of what I get from, you know, being here in Dubai, um, and outside of that, I mean, the food is amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Food is amazing. The people are, are great. And also just, um, you feel the, you feel the warmth, um, mm -hmm. the people from literally all over the world. Right. And, um, yeah, it, it's an amazing feeling. So again, I'm still, still fresh and I'm sure there's a lot of different neighborhoods and places I haven't had a chance to see, yeah. uh, yet, but, uh, I have a great tour guide. My guy, Steph is, <laughs> yeah. he's, a, he's, he's a local. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steph was Mr. International before Pitbull, man. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's exactly. local, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's, it, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. And I, I really picked up on that point about, uh, Burj Khalifa, because one of the reasons why I can't leave the downtown area is because when you step out of your building, and you're looking at the Burj Khalifa, that puts you under pressure as a hustler. It's like, yeah. this can be done. This is 838, I don't know, whatever meters in the sky, nearly a kilometer in the sky. It's like, it's, 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 it's one of the flagships of ambition. It is, yeah. it is for the Middle East what the Empire State Building was for the longest time in, yeah. in New York and the yeah. US in general. So I'm glad you enjoy it. And then you old man, Steph, back, how many times now? Fourth? Fourth, yeah. Yeah, how you feeling? Because you've seen the you've seen the you've seen the evolution, right? Seen the evolution, but um, <clears throat> I mean, it's I feel like now you're starting to get people who have even if you're an expat that moved here, you start to get that uh, that local vibe from them as well. You know, mm. what I mean? like where it's just like they they're taking a harness in the city. It's, the, it's also one of the few cities where, from a financial standpoint, people have whatever they want, but there's still a sense of pride being here because um, mm -hmm. it's like you know you look at other cities. Um, shit, I mean, I'm from New York, but you look at New York and it's just like you're losing culture, you know, because everything is not made for you to actually, uh, if you're a local, you know, to actually be there, you know what I mean? And it's mm. just like you have so much gentrification that's going on, whereas yeah. Dubai, the, it's, it's almost working in reverse. Like they're mm. accepting culture because they're trying to grow the city. Mm. Um, Damn, that's a good point. Yeah. I like that. You know, it's the opposite. Of, it's, it's, the yeah. opposite. it's the complete opposite. Yeah. And, and you said welcoming. I mean, you said that 
the expats living like this kind of local yeah. life, but it's easy to do so. Because yeah. from the moment you land, you kind of go, okay, I can make my own way. I can make my own space. I can figure it out. Exactly. Everything's available to me and people are all in the same boat. doesn't matter yep. which country you're from. Everyone's trying to do the same thing, mm -hmm. be the same person. Mm -hmm. So that, that way it's very welcoming and quite easy to slip sure. into like a local lifestyle. And I think you get another 10 years and it's a skyrocket because like then you actually built a community here that mm. actually will have that intrinsic sense of like, yo, I, this is my city now, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, like you start pricing people out of a lot of other major cities. I mean, it happened to Venice, Italy, you know, mm. it's like no locals actually live there. It's, it's, you have to be a millionaire to live there, mm. but you got to think about it. It's just like, there's no creators, and it, but that's also the hard part about being in a city that's so expensive or that has access to things. It's like, what's the aspirational goal so from a creation, a creative standpoint, you're kind of limited. You know what I mean? Like we had this conversation earlier um, when it comes down to creatives, right? Like if you're doing music or if you're doing different things, like if you're starting off as middle class or, you know, upper class, when you think about music, it's about the struggle. If you're not struggling for anything, what, what do you aspire? You know, what's your aspirations? Mm -hmm. You already got it, you know? And, and, and also how do you still relate to the rest of the world? Because if they're hustling or, and, and, and struggling, it's just like, you're making music for who? <laughs> <laughs> so that that's also the hard part with a city where it's like every city has its positives and negatives but um this is dubai is probably one of the few cities in the world i think it's the number one city now um yeah you know i'd love for you to speak on this and i know we probably will end up with how we know each other as the last part of the podcast but yeah. you made a wonderful point last time i said to you you know steph you know i've not been to the i hadn't been to the u.s for a year and a half i know that dubai's relationship with the hip-hop community continued to evolve and I was like well where are we now yeah. where is Dubai now as a city mm -hmm. in relation to the culture and hip-hop culture I was like are we near Hong Kong yet are we near Singapore yet because living here we understand the difference between Singapore Hong Kong yeah, yeah. and London and New York and Dubai we know that we're not in that league mm -hmm. but in the perception of culture where are we I was like are we in the same league as you know Monaco and you said higher you know, higher be, because the thing Craziness. is this, it, we spoke that, about see, this that's yeah. bonkers yeah because monaco is if you use monaco as the example yeah that's like your upper echelon of, of but, for, but for the states you got to look at it like this ready if you look at hip-hop how many times is monaco mentioned how many times is singapore mentioned how many times is hong kong mentioned basically never never <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 You, yeah. Can, you got songs about dubai yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like well you got drake calling drake it, dubai drake shit. talking yeah. about the leaders of the country, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, leaders of the Dubai being their first cousins. Like, they're, yeah, they're, he's like, they're like my brother. And uh, right. I, I was, I, some random yeah. Dubai record came on. You know Shiggy? Yeah. So mm -hmm. Shiggy has a Dubai record. Um, yeah. I'm, Does he? It's, yeah, it's called, well, he's like the second person on the record. It's called, I'm in Dubai on a, water, on a jet ski. And I was like, well, that's my actual life. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, I was like, that's, that's the incredible. Name, that's the name uh, of the yeah. song. Yeah, it starts uh, off yeah. okay. Oh, the Kiki I mean, you got guy, Travis Scott. The Kiki guy, yeah. Yes. The yeah. Yeah. Dubai ship by Travis Scott. Yeah, Travis yeah. Was that his record? Yeah. yeah. I was wondering who made that song. But but, but also, too, from, from, a, uh, from a travel standpoint, and, and Steph and I talk about this all the time, from a um, cultural perspective, you know, a, a lot of African-Americans, especially women, um, have that you know discretionary income where they mm -hmm. want to go see the world, right? Yep. And Dubai is one of those top places because of you know um, one you you get a chance to you know get on the water, you have a chance to you have all the luxury that you're looking for, mm -hmm. all the shopping is here, the food is here, but also just just being welcomed, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and feeling safe in the city. I think those are things that you know we struggle with being from the states, and sometimes it's not yeah. always that way, right? And so I think. Those type of things. Plus, you have that that aspirational lifestyle here yep. as well. When you when you, uh, man, we when you pull up to the hotel and you see the the Ferraris, the Lambos, and all that stuff. Regardless of what it is, like you, mm -hmm. the perception is like, man, Dubai is. It's like, man, I want to be here. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going on or how how all that's happening, but I, I want to be there. So, like, even us, you know, sharing with some of our colleagues and folks that we were coming out to Dubai, you know, to kind of celebrate our two years, mm -hmm. um, but also just work-wise, they're like, man, really? Like, man, I, I gotta get out there. I gotta have yeah. to, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's really building now. So actually on that point, cause you yeah. talked about lifestyle and the perception of kind of what the lifestyle is here, the people and the culture and everything. What about from a business standpoint? Like, Tons not, not specifically, but like the, yeah. again, the perception, and we can get into the specifics. No, I mean, it's, but that's the gift and a curse for you guys because yeah. 
people when they're thinking about oh like oh you're going to Dubai if it's in from an artist standpoint or somebody who's trying to get a job the first thing they're thinking is oh, I'm about to get fucking paid mm. <laughs> you know what I mean and, and it may not even be that way you know what I mean if you're trying mm. to hustle like if you're or if you're dealing with somebody who's trying to create a startup here and that that's going to be the hurdle for you guys like you're not going to get a lot of startups here that can bring in that raw talent because you can't afford it because the perception is if there's somebody coming from you know a UK or the US the moment they hear that there's a job opening if you're a startup and it's strictly from a startup standpoint mm. they're, they're going to be looking for the biggest dollar possible mm. because they're thinking it's mm. it's already there mm. like they're all oh, going to get paid mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um but you know it's just one of those things like from a standpoint after you look at everything that's been happening in the u.s also it's like again it's aspirational but one of the things as a black american or just a person of color in america you realize that america loves your culture loves your music loves your food they don't love you mm. <laughs> and okay. here it's different like you know you can go out and you can have you can go to like any nice restaurant and they're playing hip-hop but the difference factor for me personally being here is that i've never felt any racial issues here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and as opposed to just taking your culture, they want you a part of the culture here. You know what I mean? And, and in, in the US, I feel like they do everything possible to make you not feel welcome, but mm. want your shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's, that's the thing I, I like. The more I leave the US, the, hate, the more I hate coming back. Mm. Wow. You know. it's, in, it's interesting, I don't know if we've had this conversation before, but I was in Chiang Mai in Thailand a couple of years ago, a few mm. years ago, and we were out doing something called the I think it's like, you know, when you go on the zip lines yeah. in Chiang Mai, it's called, I don't know, whatever it's called. Anyway, so we're there with a bunch of tourists. Obviously, they pick up people from different hotels and off we all go. And there was this black lady there from Atlanta, mm. young lady. And as is typical, I made friends with her because this is my background. Yeah. And we get to talking. I said, you know, da, da, da. and I said, you'll forgive me for asking. And I wasn't speaking to her as a black American. I was speaking to her as an American. I was like, you'll forgive me for asking, like, but Chiang Mai is not like, Bangkok, it's not like Hong Kong, it's like, it's a little bit more off the beaten track. I said, you don't often get many Americans venturing out here. And she goes, oh, I love it. She goes, I love to travel. Mm -hmm. She goes, since I've left university, all I did is I paid off my university debt. Mm -hmm. I didn't upgrade my car. All my friends were getting car loans and Mm -hmm. getting nice cars. And then by the time I paid off my university, I'd been out of the buying a nice dress, going to the club energy that I thought, okay, now I can buy myself a nice car and start that journey or I can spend it all on travel. And I just remember being really shocked. I was like, hang on a second, because of my relationship with Black America, I understand that over a five year window, mm-hmm. if there's not, there's no collective consciousness in Black America, but there's certainly enough that there's a tipping point that changes the outlook of the whole world. And I was like, you know, maybe it could only take 10 to 15% of Black America to say travel is cool yep. and we'll live, in a, we'll live on a different planet in 10 years. Because 100%. once they endorse it and say, this is the new shit, everybody's going to be like, well, I want to be like them, as you rightly said, yeah. not in a fair way, not in a balanced way. They're not showing all the love, but they want to copy all the black trends. Do you, do you ever see that world whereby you, the black American stamp of approval is for travel and now all of a sudden that's the hip shit to be doing? 100%. And then the whole world I think, changing? I think it's happening now. Yeah. Really? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, it's happening. I mean... And, that, and that's the piece where I, I, I really feel like the, the days of having the most flashiest car, ha- having the, you know, all, all the material things is starting mm-hmm. to really f- fade because now with Instagram and everything else, like you see it, it over like and got over it. and over, yeah. right? And it's almost like, man, the, the, the new flex is like, man, we're out in Dubai. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. like, like, honestly, like, like we're, yeah. we're literally seeing, uh, another, we're going to another side of the world. We're expanding our horizons. And we're seeing new shit, yeah. you know. Um, and and I think just as your value as a, as a person, as you continue to grow, especially when you have your kind of priorities straight, mm-hmm. it's like, man, I, I'm more excited about like seeing some new stuff, meeting some new people, trying some new food. And for me, that's what fills my spirit, you know. Yeah. And I think you're starting to see that 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 switch. And what's interesting as well about travel is it requires money yep. and time and a certain amount of administration. Like you need yeah. to be able to be bothered to plan your flight, get your passport, book your hotels read your TripAdvisor reviews. So like anybody can go mm-hmm. to their local like Chevy store and buy the car, yeah, yeah. but to actually transport yourself overseas and then to do a trip big, yeah. you can't just do it for like, you know, four or five days. 
you've got to go do it for a week, two yeah. weeks, three yeah. weeks, a month, yeah. whatever. And you need the privilege of time. And time is the real wealth. Yeah. So even before you make all those purchases, you also have to be comfortable enough to get out of your own skin. Yeah. And, and, and travel. Because a lot of people have never... you got to think, like, to leave your own state or neighborhood for some people. I mean, like, being in, you know, whether it's in New York, Atlanta, Florida, in L.A., those are huge markets. But I've met people who neighborhood celebrities have never even left the state. Yeah. A lot of people don't have passports, right? Yeah, a lot of people don't even have a passport. Yeah. So, I mean, from an American scale, Americans have, I think, are, are people with the least amount of, of passports, of, of, you know, big nations, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, there's people like, oh, like, you're willing to go out there? And then, and then it's the perception, too. Like, so you, then you have the media issue. And that was my big thing, like, with the Middle East. It's like, growing up, and it's like other conversations we talk, talked about earlier, it's crazy how media perception in America can like skew your vision on the world. Like, it, like the first thing they tell you, oh, you don't like America? Well, go back to Africa if you're black, you know what I mean? But then they show you all these negative images of Africa, but they don't show you all the wealth that's there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, they want you to stay stuck there to make up the workforce, but they also don't want you to feel comfortable enough to feel like you're a part of the environment and community. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you also have, you know, other aspects of, uh, you know, from a travel perspective where, it's literally like if you're going to go out of the state, like just for somebody to feel comfortable leaving their own neighborhood half the time, like there's people that are just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Or like they don't, they've never even talked to people from other ethnicities, mm -hmm. you know, like you've got like cities, like again, like looking at L.A., New York, like New York is a little different because everybody lives amongst each other. But like when you go to places like L.A. that's more spread out or like a Texas, you know, mm -hmm. you have you can you literally have cities of people that are all one ethnicity. So you're segregated, but the city has a large makeup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people just don't even know about other cultures, even if they live amongst other people. What was the snapping point for you? Oh, sorry. Forgive me. Uh, I was going to say one, one last thing, too. I, I think people always forget about like the middle of America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you have the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, you have the big cities, but. You, the coastal elites. Oh, yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> right, right. So, so, so within that, like, you have a lot of people who literally, you know, live in different parts of the country that don't have access to the New Yorks and to the L.A.s and all that. So, like, for them, being able to go to the New York and L.A.s are is something that's big, but yeah. it's, the, it's the mentality and, and, and the mindset yep. of being able to uh, uh, step, step out there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just, just taking, taking risk yeah. as well, right? So I, I think the people who are successful in life, and again, I'm not saying everyone, but for the most part, like, there's some type of risk that you have to kind of take in. And yeah, I think yeah. travel is a part of that. It's like, man, I'm, I'm going across the globe. Um, I don't, literally, if something goes down, I don't have anyone to call here yeah. immediately. Um, but you also have to have that confidence in, your, in yourself and also mm -hmm. confidence in, in the, the greater good of the world, right? Yeah. Like, if, I, if I'm putting good stuff out, I'm going to a place and I respect people, I, uh, hopefully I get that back and have yeah. a good experience, so. Mm. Yeah. And sp speak, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say one other thing, because I, I got off on the tangent before, so one of the points I was gonna make about was media. The media mm. perception in America, media, they control everything. So when yeah. you think about, uh, and the point I was gonna make earlier was, you, like, if you look at every movie that ever plays Islamic uh, prayers, what's taking place right after that? There's a, a bomb. bombing. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, so you've already made, every person in America, and then especially middle America, afraid to talk to anybody who's Arabic or, mm. or who even looks, you know what I mean, Middle Eastern or brown, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they do that for everything, yeah. you know? Mm. And, and that's, that's the other hurdle that you have to get over because it's, it's all about media perception of wherever you go, you know? Mm -hmm. like, I mean, think about like before, back like, you know, when our parents or grandparents were coming up, you look at it then, it's just like, oh, the Japanese, mm. you know what I mean? And it's and like Russians. Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. the Russians. And then you, you see all this media of, or, or pictures, kids hiding under desks mm. from the Russians. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then like you build a stigma of people all around the world. It's, it's funny though, for our generation, I know the, 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 the black backstory and the Indian black story is different, but for us, we didn't have much choice. No. Like when the colonies left Africa, mm -hmm. they told our parents, you can stay in Africa or you can come to England. And it was basically like, Toss of a coin. Yeah. Half of the family were like, well, we like it in Africa. The other half were like, we'll take our chances on England. It's, it's interesting for us as well because no, we're the fourth gen, one, two, we're the third generation to move. Because mm. our grandparents were born mm. and raised in India. Mm. Then the colonies moved, well, that, we can argue how it happened, but it was somewhere between slavery and moving humans around that they were like, let's go to Africa. Then from Africa, they find the trading options. Um, you know, Sanjay Badera, his dad used to take cotton through the jungle. 
Oh, did he? And he oh, was wow. like, we're worried about like lions. Yeah. yeah it's just wild yeah. stuff. And then from there, they then moved to England. And then from England, that generation is born. And then we were born there. We're, and now, we're yeah. here now. And there's not much. As it stands at the moment, there's not much of a case to go back to England. When As you it can stands live in a country specifically like this. right now, yeah, the way that things yeah. are going on in the UK and specifically London in my case, yeah, there's no real reason to go back. Yeah. You know, one thing that you guys said earlier is, you know, the safety and the stuff. So, you know, I've got a kid. So I want to hear. I want to be here for lifestyle, safety, security, mm-hmm. money, weather. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's kind of my my goal, and I'm not going to get that in yeah. many places in the world. So for sure. What What made you hit the road originally, Steph? You've been. We said the other day when we were out that you've basically been traveling, like me. You basically your whole adult life. What was oh. it? What, when you talk about the norms and the the media influence and everything in the U.S., what is it that made you say I wanted to hit the road? At, Young age. Were you actively traveling when we first met? Yeah, so I, I grew up traveling, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the, the switch for me, though, or not the switch, the thing that was ingrained for me is that it was always accustomed in my family DNA, you know what I mean? Like, everybody, like, my, I'm first, excuse me, first generation on my dad's side. So, um, so being with that, and then also my mom, you know, being mixed and everything else as well, and adopted, so it's just like, I've always grew up traveling. So growing up, like, my family's from Bermuda on my dad's side, so I have family there have family in the UK, had family in Paris and Madrid. So summers, that's where I was, mm. you know, go to, go to see them. Um, but then again, also living in New York, you know, my next door, na- my neighborhood, like I, I could literally tell you like in uh, maybe a 10 block, uh, not 10 blocks, excuse me, 10 apartment radius. <laughs> it was, I had about maybe 15 different ethnicities, like nationalities, not, in, not even just ethnicities, but nationalities, mm. people who weren't even from there. Um, to where people are like, oh, how do you, how did you come across that? How do you, you know, <laughs> how do you speak to someone from there? And it's just like, uh, live with them, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I think I told you this before. Like growing up, like uh, I had two friends, like these two girls I grew up with. They they didn't have a brother, so they used to give me the Rocky every year. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's dope. And you are part Indian as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So my great grandmother, uh, her father was from India, and her mother's from England, and then she was born in Barbados, and then uh, then moved to Bermuda. Nice. After she got married, yeah. Damn. So speaking of speaking to everyone, segue yeah. back to how we first met. We met in the airport. <laughs> Steph was working TSA. Yeah. He was the guy that allows you or not to pass through customs. And you were a person of interest. I was a I was a <laughs> I was a brown guy in two thousand and three, mm. two thousand and four, passing through New York. Mm. Uh, I don't remember having my bag checked, but according to the story, that's what. Happened, yeah, right? well, you had your back check, but you, I think there was a flight delay. It was like weather related and you went to go get a oh, massage. Oh yeah, we did this last time. Okay, yeah, you're right. So yeah, 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 so what happened was I was with a colleague of mine. We were heading up to Toronto from New Orleans and we'd just been down there for a conference pre-Katrina. It was a wonderful mm-hmm. time over on Canal Street and yeah. they do Mardi Gras every weekend, by the way, which is a, something they Absolutely. don't tell you, but <laughs> that's just that's <laughs> incredible. So I had one of the wildest, wildest weeks of my life down in New Orleans and then we were sat we were going back up, we were flying by New York, and then we, we sit down on these massage chairs after a wild weekend, of debo- a wild week of debauchery and yeah. conferences. And we sat on these, these massage chairs, we're getting these massages, the machine is massaging you. He was like, Raj, Raj, I really feel like we've got to go. I was like, we'll be all right, don't worry, it's all good. <laughs> Next thing you know, we go to get our flight, connecting flight to Toronto, and they were like, you've missed your flight. And I was like, well, this is my fault. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? This guy was technically like in the leadership team. He like worked directly for my boss. I was like, oh my God, we're going to get slaughtered. We're going to have to pay for tickets. I'm going to have to pay for both of our tickets. She goes, but it's not your fault. I saw your flight came in a little late. I was like, "Uh, yeah, it did. (laughs) And they were like, okay, no problem. You can go out in about an hour and five minutes. No problem. Just stick around here. So it was all sorted out. And I guess it was around that trip that you you got asked to check my bag. No, so it was like... I checked your bag before that happened. Right. And then I went on my lunch break. So I was like, what the hell are you still doing in the airport? <laughs> so then we just started chatting from there. I think at the time you had a, your ringtone company. Yeah. So yeah. it throws you back. Uh, yeah, we, we had a ringtone startup, <laughs> which was incubated inside a mobile phone retailer, cell phone retailer. And my job was to establish and build that company. And so part of the perks of that is that the majority of the media deals were happening in the US, in New York, and just freakishly in like New Orleans and Miami, yeah. Miami Music Con, stuff like that. And um, yeah, and I was going back and forth, like just trying to learn how the industry worked and what the different technologies were that would deliver 
like ringtone assets and things like that to people's phones. Mm. It was a very fragmented world at the time because you had like Nokia, Sony Ericsson, mm. SMS billing, WAP billing, WAP in the day before yeah. it was the WAP that we know yeah. today. <laughs> when, it was like, when it was a wireless application protocol. There's still, there's still billing involved. but yeah, there's, yeah, exactly. there's a whole lot of billing involved. Yeah, it might be more expensive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just more than $1.50. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how we met. And, and what, I was, what, I, what I love about those long relationships is that whoever you connected with, first it was a case of real recognized real in the sense that you had no radar, you had no Instagram to check anybody out, you had no LinkedIn, which is obviously part of your guys' story. Mm-hmm. Um, you just like... It's just like either live wires connect or they don't. And we did, and then we exchanged numbers. You said I gave you one of the cards, right? Yeah. The student I, tones cards yeah, yeah. with the super, little devil super, face yeah, on. Yeah, like a little devil face. Little <laughs> yeah, yeah, devil. I remember that. I still got one though somewhere. <laughs> and, then, um, and then, yeah, then we, we met up again in uh, London or New York? Uh, London, then back in New York, and then I met mm. well, it was Rishi. Rishi. Uh, your sister, your other yeah. cousins. Vinay. Yeah. Vinay. We went to you eat proper Indian London. food. Yeah. It's, it's a family affair with yeah, us. Yeah, all the time. So yeah, yeah. You know. And then that legendary night out with Director X. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Little X there. in New York. Champagne and shisha. Champagne, <laughs> champagne and shisha, all black. <laughs> great night. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. That was before shisha culture as well. Like, that was before yeah. all the Dominicans were up in Washington Heights uh, and yeah. doing what they do in New York. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was way different. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a good vibe. So, so long, long time. What does, um, so, uh, you know, obviously, like, you're both entrepreneurs, you're both traveling. Uh, what kind of, like post corona you guys deal with sports stars right like mostly they play you mentioned american football basketball and anything else baseball baseball, baseball soccer getting into, getting so into soccer well. the world we live in now you know you've got crowd you've got restrictions with crowds you've got mm, yeah. all different things happening media consumption at an all time high what kind of clients do you have and what kind of problems do they want you to help them solving yeah, so I, I think the this uh, Instagram culture is, is a gift and a curse. Um, I think as, a, as an athlete, yes, people have mm-hmm. a lot of access to you, um, but because it's so oversaturated, um, sometimes your story and your journey gets lost, right? Mm-hmm. Lost in the crowd. And so, uh, especially from a, from a brand perspective, if you're mm-hmm. an athlete that's looking to get connected with brands, a lot of times the, 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 the narrative is not there and so you have to be intentional about it. So for example, uh, you know, everyone's into fashion. They say they're into fashion, um, but it's one thing to kind of be able to afford the name brand pieces, mm-hmm. right? Um, and a lot of these guys say that, you know, okay, after sports, I want to do X, Y, and Z, or while I'm playing, I want to create my, my, my pieces, right? And so it, it's not a deal where you can just throw money at things, right? Um, and so what we try to do intentionally is show the, show the process. Um, when I mean show the process, like, okay, if you want to be into fashion, okay, let, let's set up, set up some time for you to spend uh, with, with a designer to kind of learn how to pick out fabrics, how to kind of go through the full process of, of sketching and, and designing and then going through it. So now from that standpoint, people can literally see you like being a, a learner, right? And you're being educated by the process. So that kind of separates you from someone who can just go afford a, a you know, a a thousand dollar t-shirt and put it on mm-hmm. um so I, I think that's that's kind of the, the biggest thing that we've been able to do is um really sit down with athletes and understand okay what, what what's your why what do you want to do and kind of what do you want the world to, to see you as and then from there we're able to kind of really uh, set the visuals behind that and the narrative so that now uh, whether it's you kind of preparing for life after sports um you trying to you know try different things out while you're currently playing now it, it aligns with who you are. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing is, is helping someone say, hey, I want to get here, um, and then visually being able to kind of pull those narratives together. Yeah. Mm. So our, our big clientele is <clears throat> essentially overall, whether it's from an athlete, uh, startup business, or someone in entertainment, is brand building. You know, because um, you know, essentially we started off on the experiential and event side of things, but that's how we initially kind of looked at it. It was like, all right, let's try this, let's try that. Um, and we always had in mind, you know, content and things like that, but it was a part of other things. Cause like when you do events, events are always have been, events have always been so disjointed uh, and just the agency industry in general, you know, like you have it segmented where it's like, you have your social team, you have your events team, and then you also have your content team, but it's just like, why are you not looping all that together? And why does that message not all get told at the same time for this 360 experience? So that's initially what we were just like, Hey, let's try to just pull it all together. Uh, but then with COVID, you know, the, the thing that happened was we didn't have access to events and 
all the athletes and entertainers and startup brands that are still trying to keep it moving, they're trying to figure out how they can stay relevant. Because remember, we went through that weird period where, like, then when, you know, you had D-Nice doing his thing, and then you had all these different mm-hmm. people where, um, you know, they were just making posts. And it was, like, even before D-Nice, I feel like there was, like, a good two, three months where you would just see, like, Sanai Lathan, who you'd never seen on social, just making posts. And you had mm. different, you know, actors and actresses mm-hmm. just doing stuff just to be relevant and be seen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you would have, like, Elo Cool J, Denzel, like, you know, who, like, you're like, oh, shit, like, they're, they're on social now? Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like you, you had that lump. But then from the sports factor, it took off because at the same time that that was happening, they were also negotiating the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. Mm. Um, you know about this? Mm. I, well, I know name, image, image so and likeness, yeah. but th- these, these college sports kids oh, were not allowed yeah. to use their name, yeah. image, yeah. and likeness. I know this story, yeah, yeah. yeah. So story. you had that taken So just course. explain that for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So, so name, image, and likeness, essentially, like when you're playing a college sport, in order to keep your eligibility, you can't, like, av- you can't s- sell anything as mm. a, an athlete. You can't generate income because you're a non-paid athlete. Um, but the moment you do anything, like if you're given a gift, if you do, like, it, you can lose your eligibility to play. Um, so it's always been like a, a, a scenario that's been happening because they had, you know, video games with college students. And that's why on the video games, you'd only see the, nu- the number and the look of the person, but you wouldn't, so they even stopped yeah. making the games because there was a lawsuit that took place where, where people were like, hey, like, well, you're making money off of me as a, you know, as an image. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. And, and some context around that too, you know, yeah. on, on the college side, it's a billion dollar industry. When you take a look at the TV contracts, you mm-hmm. look at the salaries that athletic directors and these big conference commissioners mm-hmm. are making. So everyone's coaches, who, coaches mm-hmm. are, everyone's making tons of tons of money off of literally the, the backs of these student athletes. And so it's been it's been in the works for some years. And now mm-hmm. finally it, it, it's here. And uh, the name, image and likeness piece of it now as a student athlete, you can um, really monetize you know, who, who you are, but again, right, um, and again, I mentioned I played football in, in college. As an athlete, you don't have time to have a full-time job. You just don't have to, you don't have it. And so the, the one thing that you do have access to is your cell phone, mm-hmm. Instagram, and different platforms, right, where you can, again, attach yourself to different brands and be influencers. And when you think about these, these young men and women from ages almost 17 to 22, 23, whatever it is, like, these, these are the young men and women who are actually driving culture, right? Um, and, and people are looking at them, and especially if they're an athlete, they're at a certain level of status. And so now that's what's happening. Like a lot of these brands are really jumping mm-hmm. on board. Uh, and and you, just from, let's keep it real, like from a, a, um, an appearance standpoint, mm-hmm. like they, they, they look the part, right? Um, and so now you're seeing all this happening. And so to, well, Steph's point is, now, like, it's like, okay, what do we, what do, we do with this, right? So we, we kind of take like a three, three-tier approach, especially when you look at, um, you know, your football and, and your uh, uh, American football and, and basketball athletes. Those are the sports in college that are really driving everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, okay, take a look at like your, your hometown where you're from. If you're playing at college at a big level, you, you were probably one of the bigger stars in your local region. So I'm sure that there's gonna be some businesses or companies that have some interest in supporting you there. Then you look at also the kind of the college market where you're currently playing. So if I'm at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, there's a, you know, car dealerships or other people who are going to have interest in you. And if you're fortunate enough to then make it to a, a pro level, uh, then there's going to be people in, in those markets that support you as well. Mm-hmm. But what people miss out on uh, is that at these big universities, the, the alumni are the people who are driving all this stuff. Like they're cutting million dollar checks, they're getting, you know, names on buildings, different things like that. So they all have a vested kind of interest. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we're like, man, if there's ways where you can be really intentional about, again, as an athlete saying, hey, this is what I want to do. And here's what I'm looking to do. There's companies and alumni and folks you can kind of bring in to help support yeah. with this name, image and likeness. So it's big, big yeah. business. And the, mm-hmm. One of the things around that, too, is, you know, you were getting kids who are losing, uh, losing eligibility, by, like mm-hmm. not even purposely. So you got to think about it from this perspective, right? If you have a certain amount of streams on YouTube or Instagram and things like that, they pay you. You're not supposed to make any money. You could get paid by accident. Mm. Because like, let's say you're a college stall, like stud, you know what I mean? Like you're killing it. You'd make a post and it, it could just be something that you do. Like, cause you gotta remember like all these kids grew up with social media. That's just the norm for them. It's not like it's something that they're doing to try to make money. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it because every, like that's culture. Like we talk to more people on Instagram versus anything else. So mm-hmm. they're making these posts. So a young, young fella posts a video, hits yeah. a million streams. He gets paid out 3,500. Yeah. All of a sudden he's cross line. Did that happen to you though? Walt? did anybody try to leverage your 
your image and likeness when you were at university playing football? You, you know what? Not 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 for me. Um, I, I was a good player, but not a, at the at the highest level. Yeah. You know. Um, but you know, some of my my friends who played at mm-hmm. uh, some some of the bigger programs, absolutely. So there's tons of stories um, that that I, I've heard and, and we know about. Um, and then if you even kind of peel back the layer a little bit more. Um, when you think about like a lot of these shoe brands, um, mm-hmm. you think about basketball. Uh, you all familiar with like Sony, uh, Sonny uh, Vaccaro, who's one of uh, like a big um, shoe executive for Nike. And so like all these big, if you if you play basketball at a high level, there's a lot of like regional tournaments. It's kind of called uh, the AAU system. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as you're playing uh, as an elite athlete, you have Adidas camps, you have Nike camps, you oh, have right. Under Armour camps, yeah. and all all these brands are, are trying to vie for finding the next. The next LeBron, um, the next, the next, you know, uh, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, or who's gonna be able to aspire to that level? So they put on these all these camps. So at the end of the day, too, again, like I mentioned, these are the young uh, men that are driving culture. So if I'm able to get my sneaker on this young man that has all this following, mm-hmm. it's gonna inspire the masses to kind of do the same. So I think that's kind of behind the scenes as well. So it starts even so so much earlier before they even get into college. Mm-hmm. So even even you have middle school and high school kids who are who are, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, getting getting used, you know, from that standpoint. So now it's good that the kids are getting some power back. Mm-hmm. So, but, th- but then here's the two part to that, right? So now you have, you have all these kids that are growing up with social media culture that already have their branding done before they even make it to college or the league because you have kids that are high school phenoms that are being followed, mm-hmm. right? How does somebody in the league who never really use social because you know like if you put a 10-year on that oh this is a great point yeah. you got mm-hmm. guys who haven't really developed their social so that's why we've seen an explosion because now they're trying to keep up and compete with the new kids coming into the league or kids that are in college that already have that branding and that you know that visibility and these guys are just you know and then you got to think from what COVID shutting down all their interviews happened where after the game mm-hmm. if there's no game where are they doing interviews mm-hmm. so that's why we got an explosion over COVID because of the simple fact that yeah. they were trying to stay relevant and, yeah. and then now they also have to compete with an incoming class of kids that already have a yeah. have a have a following that they, that they're not even can, able to compete can with. they compete yeah they they yeah. can How? they can uh, I mean, well, going back to what, what he was yeah. saying like you know. You have three markets when you make it to the league. You got your home market, mm-hmm. your college market, and your professional market. Mm-hmm. So you can harness that, you know, work within those and start to v- build up that visibility. But again, like if you're already an athlete that's in the league, you still have that edge over the, you know, other people because you're, mm-hmm. you know, a notable person and, you know, you got some following. But, yeah. you know, the thing is, is like you also got to remember there's certain products that a young kid can't also endorse either. So, yeah. so there, there's still a lot of you know opportunities oh, yeah. out there, yeah. you know, and then also from an age factor and yeah. mm-hmm. things like that. But so. yeah, because you're right, a young person might be able to drive, you know, fast-moving consumer goods sales like shoes and sneakers yeah. and t-shirts and things of that nature, but he might not be able to influence a mutual fund. Whereas exactly. an ex-athlete might say, "Hey, put your money here for like steady exactly. growth." And and those exactly. and those athletes have had oh. a fan base that has. Exactly. No, them, no right? question. Because exactly. everyone, every athlete has has, and I hate to put it this way, but like almost a shelf life, right? Yeah. Um, when you think about it, it's like you know when, when you're coming into the league. I mean, even as as a high school athlete, whatever it is, the clock starts ticking um, in terms of you know your your relevance and also just physically. You know, uh, you're one injury away from not playing ever ever again. And so I think it's as as a rookie, and what we try to do for some of the young men as they're coming into the leagues, like, yo, be very intentional about this now. And I know that you, you maybe not get it, but like literally when you're five, 10 years down the road, the, the groundwork or the, or the seeds that you plant now mm-hmm. will be able to harvest down, down the line, yeah. right? And so um, one of the things too, you know, during COVID, which is crazy, was that people didn't feel comfortable, you know, shooting in person for a little bit. So we had to get creative on taking some pre-existing content that a lot of uh, athletes had, and we were able to kind of pull these uh, kind of you know, sizzle packages together. Mm-hmm. So um, there was pre-existing kind of, you know, interviews or on the field components, things of that nature that we would kind of blend in um, to show, to kind of tell the narrative um, and making sure that the right kind of narrative and, and music was attached to it so that it could pop. Um, and that's kind of literally how we got our, our, our first start into the really the content space during COVID because no one felt comfortable really shooting in person. So mm-hmm. we're like, look, yo, Send, send us what you already have and let's kind of pull some things together and that's what we did and then from there we had some some good proof of concepts of like yo yo if you if we can do this based off of pre-existing content imagine what we can do when we shoot with you guys mm-hmm. you know in person so that was kind of the segue into yeah. um into, into what we're doing content wise 
So speaking of some of these content successes, uh, Steph very kindly sent me something that really was quite standout that even I could understand a little bit, although for the first time I didn't really know specifically what they were talking about, but I recognized the guy in one of your latest videos, Little Wayne. So congratulations on that. It looked very interesting. I didn't really Thank get you. the sports conversation, but uh, the music stuff was very interesting. How did you end up working with Little Wayne? Uh, what's he like to work with? Who else was involved? And what did everybody get out of it? So, <laughs> Little Wayne, man, um, I, I, I would say it's crazy because, you know, I'm from the Bay Area, so um, there's a huge connection to New Orleans. My Actually, my dad's from New Orleans originally, mm -hmm. so Cash Money was something I, I would always listen to. Um, so, one, it was, it was a full circle moment to be able to shoot with him. Um, two, he, he's an authentic down-to-earth guy. Mm -hmm. um, he's really a big sports fan as well, and that, that kind of came across. Uh, during, during the process um, and, and you know doing our, our so the players day off series that you're, that you're referencing uh, we're working with a group called the uh, the players company uh, so the players company uh, they're essentially a group that's derived of you know players that are on the NFL side MLB uh, NBA and essentially what they're trying to do is empower them to get their narratives out there there's also a financial literacy component too to empower guys mm -hmm. so essentially as we were working with them uh, around the series uh, we were able to kind of um, you know, Little Wayne was someone who ha had a good connection to, to both groups. And so we were able to kind of bring him in. And then uh, the, the young man that was also in, in there, uh, Darren Waller, uh, at the time was on Little Wayne's sports agency um, uh, as one of his athletes that, that they represented. And so what does is, what is Darren Waller do? What's that? What does he do? Oh, so, so Darren Waller is a, uh, a Pro Bowl tight end for the Las Vegas uh, Raiders. Right. Interestingly, by the way, the Raiders, the American football team, used to be somewhere else, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah they, they, they were in. Oh, so I uh, never knew you could move a whole team to another state. Well, they, 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 were, so they, they were in LA. They moved. They moved, they moved three LA, times now. Oakland. Yeah. So they started off in Oakland, then yeah. moved to LA, now then Vegas. back to Oakland, and now Vegas. Yeah. Wow. With yeah. some controversy around that yeah. final move, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> Absolutely, some controversy. Yeah. So, so, so this guy's a. He's still a football player, or no? Oh yes, yeah. he is. Yeah, he's a yeah, current okay. current player. The, um, the, the Raiders are, are are doing really well now. Um, they're in this, you know, uh, billion-dollar stadium in, in Vegas, which was a, a you know, a, a smart move for them fi financially. But the thing about, about about Darren, even if you remove the the football aspect from it, is that he's overcome adversity, right? Mm -hmm. He um, was, you know, uh, battle of, of addiction, of pain pills, different things, uh, just kind of living a, kind of a, a that rock star kind of kind of lifestyle, right? And he hit a, hit a wall, and so he's been, you know, uh, four years sober, and so he kind of talks takes us through that journey. And so as mm -hmm. we were thinking about you know, uh, the, the process for shooting with him, you know, he's really big into yoga, meditation. Um, he's into, to, into music and also into body ink and, and tattoos. And so, he, you know, they've done a lot of different interviews around him, but we were like, look, let's position you in a way where you're literally showing the world what you're doing. And so we were able to spend a full day with him, mm. um, going to Venice Beach and doing yoga, meditation, nice. uh, going to a, a, a pretty famous uh, tattoo shop um, in, in, in Compton, um, and they're actually on the VH1 Black Ink Black show. Ink. Yeah, 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 Black Ink show. Yeah. Uh, so we did that, and then finally we, we capped off the night with uh, him in the studio <laughs> with Lil Wayne, um, and he actually recorded a song that night as well. Um, Darren did. He's also a, a rapper. So um, that's kind of an example of kind of how, how we shoot. It's like, yeah, you know, people may know you from what you do, but we want to show the other sides behind the scenes. Um, yeah. So even if you're not a sports fan or a music fan, whatever it is, you still can uh, connect with the stories. Yeah. Mm. The, whole, the whole goal really is to humanize them, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and allow people to tell stories to show who they are. Um, because the idea of even shooting the content, when it, even when it boils down to like the original plan for what we were doing from a branded standpoint was to show how they integrate with different brands and lifestyles. Uh, and you don't get that from an interview. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you talk to them like an interview after a game, you don't hear about the charities they're working about, working mm -hmm. with. You don't hear about, you know, the different things that they're doing in their off time. You don't hear Mainstream about- Mainstream media is just waiting for them to fuck up. Yeah. yeah. Shut up and dribble. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, shut yeah. up and dribble, yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, so you, you hear all of the negative stories all the time, mm -hmm. but you rarely get a chance to like hear how a, a guy is similar to you in life, you know, and, and you know, the, one of the things that we try to do, and that's why we say outside visual representation, is that, like, yes, we can put you in line with brands that everybody already knows or that you already know, but there's also a market audience segment that follows you that is from middle America or that's from other coastal cities or other countries that you may not even know you have. Like, for example, if you got a, 
a guy that grows not everybody's from a major city but if you got a guy that grows up in you know uh, middle america that love to go fishing you know you got brands like bass pro shops like an outdoor world yeah, yeah. And, and you forget that because like when you start thinking about urban culture or people of color you automatically put them into cities mm-hmm. but that's not everybody's life mm-hmm. uh or if you're a professional athlete who plays you know he's from the bay you know what i mean like if you got professional athletes in the bay area there's a large southeast asian asian population mm-hmm. out there yeah. um because it's the closest thing to asia and, and the flights right mm-hmm. so you got a large population of especially basketball you know, if you're a basketball player, you've got a large following probably in China, Japan, mm-hmm. the Philippines. Philippines. Like, Philippines is the number one sport. Yeah. But people don't know that they can harness that followership and, and viewership. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's what we try to focus on is creating those new lanes of influence um, and harnessing the, the following that you do have that you don't even know you're resonating with. Yeah. Um, and well, what's the business model? Like, do, do, do the, does the athlete commission you? Do you do it pro bono and then take points on follow-on business? Like, it's, it's, how have it's, you different, it's different every case. It's a combination. It's a combination. Yeah. It's working with the agents yeah. uh, yep. directly, you know, because the agent is also trying to get the leg up, you know, with, uh, against other agents. So they're trying to do things to, to position their yeah. client to be seen in different lights. Um, so it's working with them. So, some of the athletes are hitting us directly yeah. because they just want to be, you know, proactive with their own career. Um, mm. And then you also have some parents hitting us up. Yeah, uh, and then sometimes mm-hmm. the brand itself, because brands also like we also hit that boom right before COVID, where people, well, brands were tired of paying for viewership, and all they were getting was a static post. Mm-hmm. How do we showcase our product or something being used, but in an authentic and organic way? Yeah. So what we started doing was we're shooting content almost like as many commercial or you know docu content series type of stuff and dropping it on social. So now it's like. Yeah. They're putting out some stuff, in, and it allows the athlete or whoever or entertainer to stand out away from everybody else. Yeah. So now it's like, cool, yeah, you can get a solid, uh, a static post over there with a picture. I'm going to give you this content over here, yeah. and I'm going to give you back scenes, and I don't need to just tag you. People yeah. are going to see it. Yeah, see it, it's, it. it's dual usage. Yeah. Um, so content nowadays, you know, you can put it in a in, in a pitch deck. You can put it on your social, mm-hmm. um, but it's an opportunity for people to really, you know, connect, you know, with you as, as an athlete or, 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 or entertainer. Um, and I think too, the, the other thing that makes us down, stand out is that because we come from an experiential world, um, is that you know we've all seen great interviews, but at some point in time, when you're sitting and you see kind of the same background over and over, um, it, it's mm-hmm. tough to kind of connect. And, and so you know, people are visual, right? And so if you're if you're talking about you know mental health, and you're talking about like different outlets, like me going on a beach and actually seeing you do yoga and meditations, like oh wow, got it. So not only are you talking about it now, actually see you physically doing it so from an entertainment standpoint you as a viewer you actually mm-hmm. are able to go on that journey and also uh from an athlete standpoint now there's validity in behind it and that's mm-hmm. why you know b-roll footage is always key when people are talking because people want to see the actual you know connection yeah. there so we try to you know really uh create that mm. well as a, as a final question if you are dealing with you know just get mash all of your case studies together so like a college student who's playing college sports and somebody who's mid-30s and looking at exiting the sport, as a blended avatar, if that person had $100, and that $100 is representation of 10000 100000 a million, whatever, mm-hmm. how would you split that $100 up? Where should they be investing it when it comes to building their brand? Is it digital, billboards, strategic partnerships, content? I know it's on a case-by-case, mm-hmm. but I'm saying like super generic. How would you ratio split that $100 to ensure uh, a long career for that person? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Um, what, what, what I will say is that as we're working with a lot of athletes and agents and agencies right now, what we're finding out is that the days of, of, of having to have an agent that's negotiating contracts mm-hmm. is becoming so co- kind of cookie cutter because there's sliding in all these sports now. And sliding basically means that if I'm, <coughs> if I'm drafted at a certain slot um, or if I played X amount of years mm-hmm. or you know if I play a certain position that someone else's plays, I know kind of what that, that, that framework's gonna be. So you can literally, you know, get a, a, an attorney to kind of be able to kind of negotiate that, right? So now, now there's some really good agents out there, so I'm not trying to <laughs> undercut the business, but I'm just saying that's, that's the, the, kind of the world we live in now. But from a branding standpoint, the branding piece is your visual representation. That's something that you have to invest in mm-hmm. to make sure that people connect, uh, connect with you, you connect with brands, and you're able to create opportunities off the, off the pitch, off the field, whatever it may be. So, so what we're finding is people are really now investing more into the branding side uh, mm-hmm. for sure. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so that brand development, you know, figuring out your trajectory and your goal, mm-hmm. right? So the first thing we tell everybody in the beginning is figure out what and how you want to be remembered, right? And what your goals are as a as an athlete, an influencer, as a brand, you know, especially because we also deal with startups, you know, it's, yeah. it, you know, we, the, everybody sees all of the sports and the entertainer side of it, but we also have been working with a couple brands. We do brand development for a fragrance line, you know, which is done through a floral shop. Uh, we've worked with a startup tech company that does investing over, you know, investing into real estate using blockchain technology. So that's like the non-sexier stuff, but mm. it still translates. It's like, you have to figure out who your core audience is and what things work for you and how you want to be seen and, and people that you want to work with, you know, because it's so it's put your money towards identifying what those outlets are and building that strategy. So I would say like, that's probably about 50% of your, your budget right there up front, mm. you know, because you want to make sure, or I would say maybe about 30, 30, 35, 40%, because you want to figure out at least two or three different verticals that you can, you know, integrate yourself in so that you, you build that longevity because it has to be authentic, you know, and, and the thing is, is not everything you're going to do is top tier content mm-hmm. or a major look, but the fans and people or, or people that you start to engage with that follow your brand, you know, that you've already reached out to, you have to keep them engaged because a lot of people I think feel like if they just do one thing that it's, it's just going to stick. Hmm. But yeah, you might do one thing depending on who you are and the opportunity and you got all this following for like, let's say, you know, Raj is doing content, but all of a sudden like you happen to do like an episode with a group that does music. So you're like, all right, I got this whole big music following. And then the next episode you got sports and then you just stick to sports. Hmm. Well, you got all, you just lost all the music people. So it's Hmm. like, how do you create a strategy so that if you don't have the big top tier looks from a budgetary standpoint, how do you execute that? on your own or how do you consistently engage with that audience that you built uh, to keep them engaged with what you're going because uh, mm-hmm. we see it all the time where people will do something and they're, they're you can have like 200,000 followers right and you look at the engage like the comments and, and the likes on there and it could be a post where it's just like you have this whole audience of people people know you for fashion but then you're not even getting any likes on your page because all you're doing is talking about sports now you know what I mean like so it's 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 literally you have to create a strategy and that strategy is not only about finding that that lane and vertical but it's also about creating consistency that's mm-hmm. what you were talking about the other day <laughs> literally what Vic was talking about yeah. consistency yeah. is key being yeah. intentional yeah, yeah. Vic, yeah. Vic had a, did an audit of my social media and he was like oh it's a bit all over the place you need to go deep on the subject that you know but I, I like that and I think I would you know seeing as though you answered about 30 you allocated about 30 to 50% of the budget in your answer I think for me the other 50% would be uh, investing in assets that will allow you to scale for sure so in the content industry like get that first camera mm-hmm. after the camera get the first onboard mic right. after the first onboard mic get your first attachable mm-hmm. lapel yeah. mics after that get your first tripod or monopod like you know yeah. invest in the hardware and then yeah. people can come and go that can use it and know how to use it yeah, sure. and then next layer invest in the people that know how to use it Absolutely. because it's almost in and you, it's funny it's very excellent that obviously you being from the bay area as well it's the home of like diy go to market hip-hop right but yeah like and and you're also you were talking about you know new orleans which is the other is mm-hmm. the it's your counter cousin there is do it yourself like mm-hmm. own your studio own your distribution be completely yeah. independent you look yeah. at the e40s you look at master p tech nine baby yeah all these people, they, they put a lot of their money, although the money did come from dubious backgrounds, but like they put a lot of that money into having their own machine. Yeah, and then after that, the only problem that you're gonna have or the only final challenge to face, which we all face as content creators is, how do I get the most of my distribution? Yeah, which is sure. the game that we're all playing exactly. at the moment. Yeah. So, and, and I would also take a part of it and put it in events as well. Yeah. Because now more than ever, people want to press skin and you know touch and see each other and hug and you have to be take pictures well this is the thing too is that everybody has access to global networks now yeah you know and that was the big thing it's like the hard part was how do you get seen globally and that's you know because you got to think like when we met there was no social to like see all these people in other countries right at all um but now that's the norm people are watching things from all over the world but if you're trying to make an impact on somebody you got to meet them in person so it's almost it's working in reverse. Mm-hmm. It's like you've maxed out everything that you've done from a, a technology standpoint. You almost have to go old school. Like so, for example, like if I wanted to invite you to an event, yeah, I might be able to send you an email. But if I really want to capture your attention, I'm sending you a handwritten note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, stand the opposite way, yeah, right? Stand yeah. out. Yeah. Be- yeah. Because like, you got you got to think about it like this, right? Especially as 
uh, a community and, and, and generation that has started off with that first, but then it, it moved into the social standpoint. If you got a handwritten mail like at our age now, what does that usually mean? A wedding or a baby shower or something that is a life-changing moment for us and growing. And that's why when you started talking about the, the, the people for traveling and everything else, like why there's like this boom of people of color traveling and seeing the value in it, well, the thing is, it's, it's simple. Like you're getting older, but we're also getting to executive positions. Mm. Yeah. So we have that more, we have more disposable income. Mm. You know, so when you go back to like saying like, you know, that, that one lady that you, you spoke about that didn't have the car the whole time. Well, if you didn't have the car that whole time, you don't need the car anymore. Mm. What else are you going to do? You're going to travel. You're going to do all the different things that don't allow, that you don't have to be in their whole neighborhood or local vicinity. You're going to do all the things that you've seen on television because you got ex all this extra cash. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, I love it. Well, wh where can folks connect with you? Because you guys are doing great things individually as a business. Where's the best place that listeners can connect with, with your movement? Uh, you got crossover.co, and that's uh, CRO. S S O V R dot C O. That's our website. Yeah. Uh, or you can find us at crossover underscore collective on Instagram. Uh, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, our personal <laughs> socials. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, it's, mine is at Mr. Steph Raw. Uh, and then yeah, my, mine's uh, W J Brock so, um, on, on IG. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and then also, you know, just look out for our work. We have some some projects that are getting ready to hit soon that will be on some different platforms as well. So we'll make sure to follow up with you. Amazing. Yeah, for sure. And we'll yeah. link those up in the show notes as well. Yeah. yeah, we'll link all that up in the show notes. And of course, if you need a direct introduction, reach out to Vic or myself. Vic's Instagram is? V-I-K-M-O-R-J-A-R-I-A. Also in the show notes, along with my Instagram, R-A-J-K-O-T-C-H-A. If you need an introduction to the guys, let me know. Both dear friends of mine would be happy to do so. Walt, Steph, thank you so much for coming on the Rice Cotech Show. Thank you. Oh guys, appreciate you. you. Thank appreciate you. you. This awesome. We'll speak to you guys in the next episode. Definitely. Spotify crew, hit the follow button. Apple podcast, Apple crew, hit the five-star rating and review. And wherever you listen to this podcast, make sure you hit a share, especially if whoever is listening is also into sports. Pass it on, pass it on. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.